Welcome to Global Trade Talks brought to you by Quill and Morin. I'm Nicole Simonian, and I'm joined by my colleague, Ambassador Robert Polyman. I'm a law partner in the Los Angeles office of Quill and Morin and co-lead our global international trade practice, as well as lead our international employment and global mobility practice. I'm Robert Holliman, a partner in the law firm and president and CEO of Kroll and Mooring International, our firm's global public policy, public affairs, and market access affiliate. Trade Talks is a podcast that shares brief perspectives on key global issues in international trade, current events, business law, and public policy as they impact our lives. For our inaugural podcast, we begin with a discussion about China and one of the most important but least understood developments, China's digital Silk Road. In the series, we welcome guests who can help us go behind today's headlines and look at developments shaping the future. The digital Silk Road and its impact on global connectivity is a great start. Our guest today is Rob Kett, the CEO of Geoeconomics, an internationally active commentator, writer, and media producer Rob founded Geoeconomics following years of global experience and analysis and thought leadership in the fields of economics, finance, business strategy, and public policy. In addition to his work at Geoeconomics, he serves as the advisory board for the Hong Kong-based fintech company, FinFabric, the advisory council of the Center on AI Technology for Humankind at National University of Singapore, and is a lecturer at the College of Business at California State University, Long Beach. He further is at work as the screenwriter and presenter for a documentary series about the history and modern influence of innovation in China, Innovation Empire. Welcome to Trade Talks, Rob. Thank you, Nicole, and thank you, Ambassador Aliman. Rob, let me start by asking you about this issue. Why are you personally interested in China? and the digitalization of the Silk Road. So in terms of China, that began as a fascination from an early age with all sorts of things Chinese. I grew up in Los Angeles, so had exposure to the multi-ethnic diversity that is so great here. And there was that kind of just personal exposure to people who are ethnically Chinese and from Asia, but given China's dominance in the region, anyway, China featured prominently in that interest. And then as I got older, I got more into the specific aspects of the culture and religion, Taoisms and Buddhism, these things. And then relating that to today's topic on the digital Silk Road, perhaps out of some of that interest in esoteric philosophies like Zen, I had a real fascination with creativity and technology. So I ended up doing a fair amount of research. I also had some business exposure to Silicon Valley and ended up writing and researching on that in a global context. I actually had some World Bank sponsorship then for advising China's Ministry of Science and Technology, and things just continued to evolve in that direction. So that brought me to then looking at things like the Belt and Road Initiative, and then the technological dimensions of that, which is what's called the Digital Silk Road. Rob, for our listeners that have just learned the term Digital Silk Road, could you define in perhaps two to three sentences what that means? Sure. I'll try to be brief in that case. So the Silk Road, first of all, as it's conceived currently, is really relating to China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is a massive infrastructure program really for the whole world, but specifically focused on most of the developing world 
and certain parts of the developed world. So that's the Silk Road component. And digital is the aspect of technological investment, particularly in areas like mobile infrastructure. So 5G is featuring quite a lot, but then basic cabling, including undersea cables. I don't know if your listeners have followed, China has a rival now to GPS called Beidou, and that includes it. So basically, this goes from the heavens, where it's kind of an infinitely distance program in the sense that it can go as high up into the sky as signals will broadcast down to not only below ground, but even underneath the sea with the underground sea cables. So it's a very pervasive element of this One Belt, One Road initiative. However, it doesn't get as much attention because so much of the focus has been on that original construct of the program, which was roads and ports and the kind of hard infrastructure, basic infrastructure that we think of. The digital component is actually very significant, especially in today's age, as you can imagine. So that's a new element of the Belt Road program that is receiving more and more attention. And I've been privileged to join with some research groups that are looking at that and will hopefully have some publications out on that before long. Thanks, Rob. Churchill once said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. So how does history play a role with respect to this issue? Yeah, I think that's a great quote from Churchill. If I could just add one from Marx, because he critiqued Hegel along similar lines, but his great contribution to this history repeats itself thought process is that it's the first time is tragedy, the second time is farce. I think this is where Actually, a lot of these missed opportunities, whether we're talking about Digital Silk Road or what's going on with Belt and Road or U.S. China relations, really do factor in this notion that there's a lot we could learn from history, but the way that's missed can get comical. Hopefully, it doesn't get tragic. We were supposed to have already gone through the tragedy, which I guess would apply to what happened through the Chinese Communist Revolution and all the huge missed opportunities that occurred the first time around. But yes, I mean, it's a, it's a great quote, and it's definitely absolutely correct in noting that it's important to learn from history. And I think when we look at the Digital Silk Road and then the One Belt, One Road program itself, you could look at it from two sides of the equation. And one is that in the case of China, its over-assumptions about history can be very dangerous because these are, in fact, presumptions that the world will be like China. And that's actually, in many ways, I think China doesn't get enough credit for being somewhat more inclusive than is often assumed. And there is this presumption anyway on the part of, I think, the Chinese worldview that if you invest a lot of money in, say, Africa, it will develop like China developed. And that can be fundamentally flawed. Nothing to say about the capabilities of the people you're investing in, but to say a lot about the political structure that it goes into, as well as the financial and other matters. I think that there's a big missed lesson in history on China's part. Then there's the other side of the equation, which is where a lot of the West, in particular the United States, I think often looks at China and just sees the evil empire again, right? And particularly in the current administration, they bring out a lot of how it is the Chinese Communist Party involved in things as opposed to China or the Chinese government, because China's system of governance is, in fact, ruled by party, not ruled by a normal functioning civil administration. And while that has some accuracy, it also misses the fact of Chinese history, which has always been ruled by not party, but dynasty. And so you're being somewhat unfair to the Chinese side by saying, well, it's a totally politicized system. 
it's always been politicized. The difference is you didn't have Marxian dialectics. <laughs> so again, going back to the Marxist quote there, maybe if the thinkers in Beijing can reflect a little bit on some of the Marxist doctrines, they can take a step back and also think of ways to re-engage with the U.S. I think both sides need to seriously reflect on history and culture. But anyway, that's where I see a lot of history and the potential dangers of not learning from it as applying here. So let's take a moment and sort of tease that out a little bit, explaining a little more around the digital Silk Road. But I'm also particularly mm-hmm. interested in what we see or the potential short, medium, long-term effects of it. Help us understand that a little bit better. Sure. So where you've got really positive effects of the digital Silk Road, and part of this Chinese presumptiveness that, uh, okay, if we invest in certain countries, they're going to thrive like we have. Curiously enough, especially given recent events that have set the relationship back, India. India is one of these key sources, or has been up until at least recently, for the Digital Silk Road. And there was a particularly notable program actually funded by the China Development Bank, Industrial Commercial Bank, to the tune of about $2.5 billion in credit lines towards RT Airtel, which is India's leading mobile carrier. And that was to come in and basically build out infrastructure. And if anything, when you compare India and China, one of the things that has really held India back from being more like China today is lack of infrastructure investment. And we could make other comments about why that's happened and so forth. But anyway, so China has come in in a very positive way. Unfortunately, and we won't, or at least I won't bring it up now unless you want to talk about it more later, but there have been issues between the China-India relationship that make continued investment on those lines less likely. We'll have to see. But in any case, it's very hard to deny what has gone into India and given India's needs for infrastructure investment, particularly in telecom, that that hasn't been positive. And it's truly, as the Chinese like to say, a win-win. Where it gets more questionable is places like Africa, where you're bringing in 5G to countries that are still trying to build out their road system, for example. That would be just an illustration. It's not to say it isn't good to bring in infrastructure there. It absolutely is. But it's the conditions under which you do that. And then where I think we could say it's quite bad, at least from the perspective of the political entity to which it belongs, Serbia, that is, the EU has very strict guidelines in terms of bidding and transparency, and moreover, in terms of data protection. This is where there needs to be a lot more understanding, both in terms of recipient entities, as well as the Chinese in terms of their investment. There's a big debate about how much China is intentionally disrupting political freedoms or social structures for which it's bringing in this technology. Like I said, in India, it hasn't really posed an issue, but it's also been in in a pure infrastructure kind of cables and data centers system. In Serbia, it's been surveillance. And we've also seen that in Pakistan, where it's raised some questions. So this is where it gets much more problematic. But there's definitely good and bad, you can say, in the full spectrum of the digital Silk Road. It's a matter of how it's applied. And indeed, I think it's a challenge for both sides in terms of how that technology is managed. As it should be anywhere. I mean, this is a debate we need to be having in the United States and other democratic societies about the power of technology and the technology operators. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. It was a great conversation. Robert and I look forward to continuing to follow all of your work in this exciting area. Much more to come. Well, thank you very much, Nicole and Robert. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Rob. And for our listeners, you can access Rob Kep's bio 
at the link in our show notes or at kroll.com slash global trade talks. Nicole and I welcome all of our listeners to subscribe to our Global Trade Talk series and join us as we welcome guests who share insights on key global issues in business, law, and public policy. Global Trade Talks is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy our show, please leave us a review. You can find more information at kroll.com slash global trade talks.